Hey guys, Teresa here. Before we jump into this episode, I just wanted to give you guys a heads up that we had some audio issues, so my voice is going to sound a little bit muffled throughout the episode. But I encourage you guys to keep listening because we had a fantastic interview and some really great content for you guys. So without further ado, here we go. Hi, this is Relatively Asian Podcast. I'm Teresa. And I'm Minnie, and this is episode 17 of our podcast. Welcome back to the podcast. Last episode, we had my good friend and former roommate Susie on the podcast to talk about her experience immigrating by herself to the U.S. from Korea as a teenager and the present day challenges with getting a green card. Go check out that last episode to hear more. This episode, we are so excited to be joined by yet another guest, my close friend, Brenna. (laughs) On today's episode, we're going to be talking about a topic that should be relevant to everyone. And if it hasn't been in your life, could be after this episode investing and finance. When should you start investing your money? And also, how do you even do it? Keep listening to hear more. So I thought to begin, we could talk about just a general background for all of us. When did each of us start investing? So do you want to go first, Teresa? Sure. Oh, wow. I was really not prepared for this question. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, This is great prep work there. (laughs) Um, Okay. So I dabbled Girl, my parents are both CPAs, so they're obviously, you know, very financially savvy. So growing up, they would always talk to me about like Roth IRA and like different retirement things. So I think growing up, I kind of like dabbled and would like would shadow my dad, like as he like would invest like my retirement money. Mm. So that was kind of like my first introduction into it. And then the first time I made my own account. I used Robinhood. It was in college and I put very little money in there. (laughs) And then I kind of just like played around with it for a little bit. And I invested only in like the brands and companies that I knew and liked. I didn't really get more into it until last year. Is last year when we both started like really investing? We had this conversation. So like, was it 2020? Like mid 2020? It was in 2020. It was like beginning of the year. Of 2021. Yeah. Cause it's been like a while at this point. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I would say like I was, the most active I've ever been was like not until last year um, where I like put a lot more money in, like diversify the different companies that I was investing in, like put some money in like ETFs and then, yeah. Okay. So that's kind of like my history with investing. Oh, wow. I didn't even know you invested in college. That's, that's so interesting. Good for you. (laughs) Well, I have, yeah, like I had, I've, I've always only used Robinhood. Okay. So no, even but... after the whole fiasco, I was like, whatever. Like, I'm too. Oh, you're still with Robin Hood. I'm still with Robin Hood. Oh, okay, okay, interesting. I'm like acting like I know so much about that, but I really don't. So whatever. Um. Okay, Brenna, do you want to share your background? I want to share mine, but because it's related to Brenna, I want to go last. Okay. Uh. Yes. Okay. So I didn't start investing right away after college. I started. Well, actually. I don't even have a brokerage account. So I should start off by saying that. And Wait, that is, what? And that is because I don't have a personal brokerage account because I basically started investing with my husband, my, my then boyfriend at the time. So Lawrence had hit, had an account for years, like after college. And I, mm-hmm. um, 
had other sort of like financial goals at the time. So I wasn't putting money into the market or I didn't really have a portfolio, but he had kind of been starting. So when it was time for us to kind of do it together, he already had an account open and everything. Mm-hmm. Like he had Robin hood. He, um, that was like his primary, um, like, like resource, but I, um, instead of just like opening another one, I thought it would be easiest if we just combined. So, um, I pretty much like directed like everything that he did, but everything. And even today, like I'm the one in our family who does most of the decision-making. Um, and I guess I should probably give a little bit of background about myself. Um, Thank you guys for having me. I'm really excited. Um, I um, studied finance in college. I also have been working in financial services um, my whole postgraduate career. And I'm also a CFA, which is a chartered financial analyst. Um, So I am personally interested um, because I think financial literacy is really important and everyone should educate themselves. But I also obviously have some, you know, real life experience, work experience, studying it, et cetera. So um, that's kind of like where I'm at with the whole like, you know, financial journey. Um, But yeah, so I don't have my own brokerage account even like today, but we're married. So um, what's his is mine. Um, And I make all the decisions. So does it really matter? Um, so yeah, um, it's been a couple of years. I started really slowly. Um, we definitely started with just stock picking because that's kind of what we knew at the time. But as I started to learn more about the market, I, um, and I know we can get into it later, like what is in my personal portfolio and like what Mm -hmm. I, you know, would advocate people consider, Mm -hmm. but before we talk about any of that, I, I think it's important to add a disclaimer. This is all informational purpose only. I think everyone should do their own research and um, mm-hmm. none of this is legal advice. <laughs> yeah, just got to put that disclaimer yeah. out there. Yeah. Um, I have a couple questions. Okay. Or Minnie, do you want to go first? I, I just like have follow-up questions. Oh, to Brenna's intro? Yeah. Yeah. You no, wanna? you can. Oh, okay. I was just going to say, okay, yeah, because before we dive in and talk about stock picks, let's just like... Okay, well, let me start my journey first. Also, sorry, Brenna, I didn't even have you introduce your background, Maybe. Um, <laughs> so like Teresa said, we both started talking about it to each other. Like, I actually looked at when I created my Schwab account. So I have Schwab. Okay, it's funny because people, if people are listening and who I are like too, me, though. first of all, I don't even know what Schwab is. So like, I only knew what Schwab was after Brenna yelled at me. Wait, question. So, where's your Where's your retirement money? I don't know. Somewhere. Okay. That's like 401k, right? Because, yeah. yeah. Okay. So I have, I have my Roth. retirement money in, in Schwab. That's why I'm surprised. Oh, you've okay. Never okay heard no. of it. I have yeah. it in, um, oh, shoot. I don't remember. Whatever. Vanguard? It's like in something. Okay. Okay. Oh, yeah. It's in Vanguard. It's in Vanguard. Okay. Might be. Okay. It's in Vanguard. And then I also have a Roth. So I, I've been doing like 401k and Roth just because like that's like work related and you have to like enter your numbers or whatever. But then I think for investing in general beyond that, First of all, I don't know what that means. So I think we should talk about this as if no one knows because I didn't even know what stock picks were. Like, I have no idea what anything is. I remember last year I was talking to Brenna and then she had already mentioned it to me like multiple times. Like, hey, maybe you should start investing. But I was like, yeah, whatever. And like, didn't really <laughs> consider that much of it because like, I feel like I don't do anything unless it's like, I know what the stakes are. And then I don't know why, Brenna, you suddenly like that day, you felt more inclined to be like, you need to do this. <laughs> I'm not sure what triggered that, but um, I just remember Brenna yelled at me, but then she said it to me in like by numbers. And I remember she like expressed to me like how much money I'm literally losing, like tens of thousands, tens of thousands of dollars. And then that's when I was like, oh shoot, like what the heck? I did not know that. 
because I, I didn't realize that you could make that much money investing, which is like, I guess, really stupid and naive to think about. But after that, that's when I was like, okay, yeah, maybe I should do it. And then, and then it was funny because I talked about it with other people and then like other girls and like people I'm friends with no, had no idea about investments either. So that's when I was like, oh, wow, this is like not a topic that I talk about a lot. Um, and I think at that time, my brother and his friend group were really into investing too. So they were like constantly talking about like different stocks they're buying every single day or like, or like, oh, is the market down or up or whatever? Because um, that was like a couple months after the GameStop thing. So everyone was like more into it. I think that was maybe a what like why people were talking about it too. Because before GameStop, I feel like no one talked about stocks. But then, or maybe I just didn't notice. But then after that, I realized that like so many guys talk about it. That's like the bulk of their conversations. Maybe not so much now, but I remember back then it was. And then yeah, Teresa and I talked about it too. But yeah, that's my background. So okay, Teresa, you can ask Brennan the questions now. Oh, I was gonna ask, like, would you recommend for like someone, especially like I guess a girl starting out to do like a combined account similar to like what you did or um I mean I think it depends on everyone's situation I think if I mean at that point I was in a very serious relationship um but I think unless you're married or like maybe engaged I would definitely get your own account just in case you never know what happens um but I guess like I never thought to get my own account and also at the time I was still very risk averse so I didn't really want to take on my own risk with my own money. Also at the time, like when I mean, like when I didn't have my own account or everything, it was all like Lawrence's money. So I wasn't like giving him the money to put into the account. It was still like him taking on all of the risk. And like, definitely if you're more risk averse, it can be kind of easier maybe to ease into it. If you kind of like shadow someone's account, like your significant other maybe. Um, but I would say generally speaking, like, I think everyone should start investing today. If you do not have a brokerage account, I would go to sleep. Maybe if it's nighttime tomorrow morning, I would open a brokerage account. I would open your own individual brokerage account. Um, not with your partner, unless you are married. Cause that can be a decision you make as a couple, but if you're single or you're in a relationship, but you're not married, I would open your own brokerage account and I would start investing today if possible or tomorrow if you need to sleep on it for a day. But do not wait any longer than that. Mm. I, have, I have a, a follow-up question. To that. <laughs> um, I guess what would you recommend, I guess like between putting, say like someone wants to just in general, like save slash invest like 50% of their income like mm-hmm. how would you recommend divvying up between like retirement versus like a okay average? so that's a great I guess segue into kind of I do have a spiel so um I think there's several things to think about when you start investing it is extremely intimidating that is definitely a thing that I think most of us feel when we start learning about this when we see it on Instagram or our friends talk about it it's just kind of like oh my gosh like there is risk involved and that's something that everybody should understand you don't make money without risking the possibility of losing money so before you do get into it and I think that is probably an impediment that a lot of people like emotionally struggle with Mm -hmm. is like what if I lose like like some or you know, a lot of the money I put in. That's obviously, you know, a human concern that we all have. I 100% get it. And that is honestly something that for me, it took a while to get comfortable with, even though like, you know, I had studied it, even though like I was working in it and I knew like, you know, investing is like something I should be doing, but I was scared. 
So I think like that's something that is very understandable. So I think when you're first starting, um, something I mention a lot to my friends is what is your time horizon? And I think maybe that this was a big part of the conversation I initially had with Minnie is like at that time, you know, like a, I gave her some real life scenarios about her opportunity costs of not investing, but mm-hmm. also in general, I was like, this is a great time for you. Like you don't have any upcoming life events. So that's something to consider. Like if you are deciding to like go to grad school, or if you're deciding you're you know have a wedding in the next year, I think for most people, a year is a good timeline. If you don't have anything upcoming in the next 12 months, please invest. If you do have something coming up in the next 12 months, look at your financial situation. How much do you have saved? If you have more than enough or close to enough, then you can start to do like maybe, you know, a scenario where you maybe only invest like 20% of your, you know, disposable income that you're saving. And maybe you save the rest, you know, so you build that little pot that you have for whatever life event you have that year. But if you don't have anything coming up in the next 12 months, like, you know, I think your money is just sitting there. And I think also people should think about like in their, you know, even if you have a high yield savings account right now, I think I saw the other day, like the highest is like 0.5%, mm-hmm. not 5%, 0.5. Mm-hmm. So like you're not really doing anything with a savings account. And if you have nothing coming up in the next year, like you should, you know, have your money make money for you. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of like my broad overview of like, looking at your different life situations, when is a good time to invest? And if you really don't have much going on in the next year, like for example, 2021, which is last year, I was doing more of like a 50-50 thing because we knew that year we were going to buy a house. Mm -hmm. So, you know, whatever money that we had left at the end of the month, like not all of it was getting invested, but some of it was like, even while we were saving, we still kept putting money into the market. And, you know, that's something called like, that's how people say like, um, don't try to time the market. So instead of like putting money only when the market's down, that's obviously mm-hmm. great. If you could buy at lows, like everybody wants that because then you mm-hmm. just, you know, your gains are so much greater. But like the reason why I say don't do that is because you never know what the market's going to do. So you might as well just put in a little bit every month. That's how I do it anyway. So that I'm not, you know, I'm not going to miss out on a lot, but I also like, it's also not that kind of stress of having to like make sure I don't miss out on something either. So I think like that's kind of like how I treat like, you know, my personal like strategies and what I like think everyone should kind of think about as they start doing this or maybe they're already investing, but it's maybe something to think about as they're adding to their portfolio. And like overall time, would you say is dedicated towards like getting started and sort of like the weekly or monthly maintenance of your investments? I mean, I think it depends for everybody. So in terms of getting started, I mean, it's just like opening up, I think, any account, like a bank account. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think in terms of maintenance, there's I know there's people who do automatic deposits. I don't do that because I have a lot of like things in the air and I'm very hands on. So I don't do any sort of like automatic investing, but that's a great tool. If say, you know, you only want to put in $100 a month. Like it's very Mm -hmm. low and you know, you're not going to miss a hundred dollars. You don't need the hundred dollars. You won't notice it if it's gone. If you're going to put in something very small like that, I think automatic is a great way to do it. And you just have it linked to your rank account and it does it for you. Um, But for me, I'm definitely more hands-on and, but not to the extent of stock picking, which I know is a very hot topic, but I personally (laughs) do not stock pick anymore. And I don't recommend 
But we can get into that. Yeah. Okay. Let's let's dial it back a little bit because I'm just thinking about this from let's like let's pretend we're talking to me in 2021 because first of all, don't even know what a brokerage account is. But but before that, um, and have like a quota for how much you save per month from your personal income. So yes, I guess we should talk about budgeting. So I think, but the one thing I want to like, you know, make a point about is you don't need a lot of money to invest. Everyone mm-hmm. can invest. Give us even some numbers. It, yeah, let's, let's use some numbers. Let's, so be, let's be concrete here. Even yes. if it's only like maybe $20 every paycheck, it's mm. still better than nothing. Okay. And over time, the power of compounding is real. You, it, <laughs> can you just explain that? Because first of all, I don't, I did not understand that until you broke it down how much okay, money I was great. losing. Okay. Let's just yeah. say today you invest a thousand dollars a year from today. If you invest in something like the S&P 500, which is my personal favorite, if you invest in the S&P 500, the historical return since inception, which is in the 1950s to, you know, this current time, the annual return is averaging 10%. Okay, averaging, not guaranteed. Nothing is ever guaranteed, but averaging 10%. Then next year, you would have $1,100. Mm. And then the year after that, you would have 10% of 1,100 added onto that if you never invested another dollar. So that is the power of compounding. That's why I say, even if you only invest a little bit every month, it adds up. It's Mm. the same as many like car loans, like compound interest. It's the same thing. Right. So on the other hand, you you know, know yeah, yeah. So like if you have a lot of like credit card debt, like that adds up really quickly. Oh yeah. I don't know what that means, <laughs> but it's okay. I don't have like, yeah, it's fine. That's fine. Um, no. Yeah. Okay. That's helpful. So, okay. Back to what you were saying about how much money you save per month. What were, what were you going to say about that? Okay. So I think how much you save and then the split, like, yeah. I will share yeah. my portfolio. Okay. So okay. Everyone should also budget. They go hand in hand. I know nobody likes it. Nobody likes to look at what they're spending money on. It's harsh sometimes. What's your budgeting process? I want to know mm-hmm. everything. Like spreadsheet, use an app. Like I use um, I use Google Docs. So because okay. it's easier for Lawrence and I to kind of look at it together. Mm-hmm. Um, there's so many apps. I personally hate mm-hmm. apps. But if you're into apps, there's so many that connect directly to your credit card. I'm personally yeah. like not a fan of that. I like to visually like put the numbers in myself. It makes me feel more accountable. Mm -hmm. So, um, but there's apps. And then I use Google docs, which is great. If you want to share that with your husband or your life partner or whatever, um, I think it's just accessible to both people really easily. Um, Mm -hmm. I manually put in all the expenses too. Mm -hmm. Like at the end of the month, that's what I do. That's how I, um, kind of see what happened that month. And in terms of budgeting, obviously you have like your fixed expenses, which is things like rent car Mm -hmm. payments. Mm -hmm. Um, then you have all of the options after that. And I think for me, what is really been helpful, like in my marriage and also as a, you know, person that's kind of, I don't want like, um, what's it called? Like, like income creep to like prevent that from happening. It's like when you, so it's like, I don't think I'm saying the right phrase. What? Oh, lifestyle creep. Sorry, Lord. What is that? Um, What is that? So it's like, if you make more money, you would start to like want to spend more. 
but it, mm. instead of you know, so you kind of keep yourself. So even if I got a raise this year, I didn't really like increase certain things. You want to keep my, your lifestyle yeah. the same. I see what you're yeah. saying. Yeah, mm. like you're always supposed to like spend like lower than what you can like yeah. afford, right? Yeah. So to prove that, I think one thing that I started doing a couple years ago was um, I started obviously having budget for like food and um, like entertainment, which is like YouTube TV or like Netflix. Um, but I also, mm. Lawrence and I have personal budgets. So instead of like having like a closed budget, we just have a like one lump sum budget, which I personally mm. think, I mean, you can get as granular as you want if you're really mm-hmm. like, you know, into that. But I think it's honestly easier if you just have a bucket. Mm-hmm. So I get a bucket, he gets a bucket. And even though we've, you know, if we get a raise, if whatever, like it doesn't really increase the bucket that much. And that kind of mm. helps prevent lifestyle creep. Mm. Mm. That's good to know. Can you give like a broad percentage? Yeah, percentage breakdown savings. Yeah. Right now, I mean, everything that I also talk about is based on like two people's incomes. Um, Mm. So I think right now we save and like, so retirement, we put money in. So this is after like, you know, employer Mm -hmm. match and 401k, but I think we save about 35% to 40% of our income post tax. Mm. Wow. Okay. Okay. Teresa, what about you and Dave? Uh, I don't track that. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe, maybe you will. After I just heard that. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't. I don't track that either, so I can't answer that question either. <laughs> I don't think I spend that much money. Actually, I don't know. Okay. I'm kind of getting inspired in this conversation to start budgeting. <laughs> yeah, you should. So we'll see. I think for um, I feel like for me, I've always been like very. No, I think I do need to just like face the music and like just. Mm-hmm. Like if I'm like earning money, like I should I should know exactly where it's going and be able to mm-hmm. have like accountability and ownership in that way. Um, but at the same time, I feel like I'm very like goal oriented. So then, depending on like what financial goals I have in the next couple of years, I just like make sure that I, I can achieve those. If that makes sense. So I feel like mm-hmm. I'm not as like specific with my, like knowing the exact percentages and knowing exact my exact spending and like where that spending falls into bucket wise and stuff. But I think I definitely I'm at a point in my life where I need to be more like cognizant of all that. Mm, gotcha. What about you? What's your reasoning? Oh, just like laziness. I don't okay. have like I don't have any reason. I mean, because also for me, it's like I already know that I don't spend like an outrageous amount of like I feel like I would start budgeting if I noticed that. Well, actually, I don't know. Cause I feel like at a certain period of time, I was like, am I even making money anymore? Like, I'm just like confused because I feel like when I first started working, like it was like, you know, upward, but then after a while it gets like kind of plateaued and then, okay, not plateaued. Like I'm making money obviously, but I think I was just like, wow, like where's the money going? Um, but then I don't know. I feel like I'm not like a huge big spender on like big one item things or like two like things. And I feel like all the money I spend is pretty much on eating out. Um, so which I do quite often. I don't know. Maybe I should budget things too. <laughs> I think I feel like, everybody should budget. I know. I feel I like when everybody I, should budget. No, yeah. I feel like when I first graduated, I used I used mint. Have you heard of that, Brenna? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then like I was pretty good about that. And I like used to because it does it for you like automatically, so you don't have to like do it yourself. So it tells you like the brackets, but now I think Chase actually does that where they'll like, they'll actually itemize mm-hmm. what you're doing per month and give you a pie chart of what you're spending money on. Yeah. Um, they do that. Yeah. So I think that was, I was like, oh, that's interesting. But yeah. I have a question for uh, Brenna since she's the only one in this group that budgets. <laughs> 
how do you determine like how do, like how do you personally and Lawrence how do you guys determine what percentage to allocate where like how to break down that pie chart is it based on like your long-term goals like buying a house like saving xyz for your children like I don't know you know whatever like paying off debt like whatever it might be like how what drives that I mean, a lot of it. So for example, like one of our budgeted sections is food. That's honestly just like from being together, like what I know we spend on food every mm. month. And it's just- Okay, so it's like reactive kind yeah, of. Yeah. And there's also certain okay. things that I feel like for us, I mean, we have the luxury of not having to budget for like other reasons other than just we want to. So like we don't have to restrict ourselves. So we're not trying to do like mm, fire- we're not trying to do, we don't have, um, we're lucky like we don't have any debt other than like our mortgage. So we're not budgeting for any reason other than that we want to be conscious. So for things like food, like it's also something like, there's also things like I think it's okay to like not give up. Like, of course, like I could cook every meal and I would save so much money, but I don't want to. And so that's something like we choose like not to really budget for because like we do in the sense of like, we're not going to eat out every meal, Mm -hmm. but we're also not like super restrictive. And you know, it's okay if we go over a little bit every month. But so for example, food is more like, this is just historically what we normally spend every month. Um, things like our subscriptions, like, again, like this pretty fixed. Um, mm. And so the only thing that like, I think we had to make a decision about was like our personal budgets. Mm. And I think like, I especially think if you're married, this is so helpful. Because before we got married, like my money was my money, his money was his money, who cares, you know? But after we got married and we, you know, combined all of our finances, like, I mean, there is like more of like, it's, it's understandable why the other person would have an opinion on, you know, how you're spending your money because now, Mm -hmm. you know, we're sharing everything. So after we instituted like this whole like budgeting, personal budget in our budget, like we don't even ever talk about it anymore because whatever he has, he can buy whatever he wants, whatever I have, I can buy whatever I want. So Mm -hmm. it's like been some, because I know a lot of couples fight about money and it's something we never fight about anymore because like, you know, it's already it's set like in stone. Yeah. yeah. So who cares like how you're spending your money? I don't really get to have an opinion. Mm. Um, and this also helps keep us in check because I do have some pretty expensive habits. So if we didn't have this personal budget thing, we would definitely fight about that. But we don't mm. have to anymore because, you know, if I have the resources, I can spend it on what I want. And mm-hmm. the number that we came up with is pretty reasonable. Um, I think it's, it's, um, it's the same also, like we have the same number every month that we get. Um, mm. and I would say it's pretty small percent of our total income, um, but it's like sufficient for our needs. Um, so I think for us, it's probably, um, around 15%. So like 7.5, um, to each of us. Per yeah. Monthly mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. kind of your personal yeah. disposable. Nice. Okay. Can you, um, explain what fire is? So FIRE is super trendy right now. Um, FIRE stands for Financial Independence Retire Early. There's mm-hmm. also something called Coast FIRE, which is mm-hmm. kind of what okay. I'm doing. So Coast FIRE is, um, sorry, so FIRE itself is a pretty restrictive lifestyle because it's for people that want to retire early. But by doing mm-hmm. so, they're generally cooking all their meals. They're not really traveling that much. They, you know, don't really go out. They don't do maybe a lot of life experiences. Um, even for really high earners, they're still pretty, like they're going to drive a car for 20 years. Mm -hmm. Um, like it's pretty restrictive in my opinion. Uh, even if you make a high income, it's still kind of restrictive um, to me. So I definitely could not do that, but 
you know, perhaps anyone who wants to, um, it's, it's definitely like possible. There's a lot of success stories and these are people that are retiring like in their thirties. Yeah. So like, you know, great for them, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and they do all this obviously through investing. So that's a big mm-hmm. part of the fire process. Um, there's something mm-hmm. called coast fire, which is kind of like what I think most of us could probably do if we wanted to, which is just saving more than you're spending. Um, so mm-hmm. fire people save about like 50 to 60% of their total income. Uh, if you do a little bit less, it's more like coast fire. And obviously, um, it's basically like if you're lucky enough to make a certain income, but not live up to that, you know, lifestyle, then mm-hmm. you can kind of do it pretty naturally. Hmm. Interesting. I didn't know that. So I have a question for someone who maybe doesn't have the luxury to max out their employer, like their employer match and max out their Roth IRA, you know, and save, you know, 30% of their paycheck every month and like invest some of that. Like how would you advise someone to like prioritize kind of like where to put their money? So I think it really depends on if you have debt, like if you have Mm -hmm. student loans, if you have other type of personal debt, I think paying those off is it really takes priority important. for sure. Um, yeah. But let's say you don't have that, mm-hmm. um, but maybe your income is just like maybe, you know, on the kind of like not six figure side. Um, then I think first, like it's really important to evaluate, like how much can I live off of and still be like pretty happy? Can I cut some mm-hmm. things out of my life? save a little bit more. And then with mm-hmm. those savings, if you don't again, have any sort of like near term goals, then I would honestly put as much as you can into mm. like a brokerage account. So okay. I think, not, yeah. not in retirement, like not like don't max out your Roth IRA. I think you should and max out your Roth IRA after you after put in whatever investing. your employer matches. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Cause that's what, so I, I would do that. I would get the employer match. I don't think anyone needs to match up, max out their 401k unless they really want, like, it's great if you want to, I just, it's, I don't but think just do up to the match. Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. definitely do up to the yeah. max at, yeah. at least. And then if you're eligible, cause there are income limits to a Roth IRA. So yeah. it's something to be aware of. Mm-hmm. Um, if you are eligible, then yes, it's definitely, it's only $6,000. So if you're obviously at that point where you're maxing out some things, I think $6,000 yeah. would be pretty doable. And then, yeah, like after that, like I'm telling you, even if it's only a hundred dollars a month, I would still put it into your brokerage account okay so you're saying do okay. the match do roth ira and then do the brokerage account and that's your like okay that's yeah. your tiers okay and then like less or you just like you shouldn't really have a ton in your savings account if you're not planning to spend it in the next year um well, so oh, yeah. everybody should have an emergency fund like the rainy day fund yeah yes but I personally, it, again, depends on your financial situation if you have a partner, especially, but and what kind of income you're making. But like, I think it's very conservative to do like six months to a year. Like, that's a lot of money. So I personally aim for a certain dollar amount between like three months to six months. It, it changes all the time. So it's not like I have it sacked away. Um, because I feel like if there were an emergency, I'm lucky enough to obviously have, you know, like a partner. And also if we had to sell some of our investments, we could. And I prefer like to keep most of my money working instead of sitting there, Mm. Um, you know, but, but I'm not like that risk averse in that sense. But if you are more like, you know, risk averse then yeah, sure. Have six months to a year of savings. Like why not? Mm. Okay. 
Um, so I guess moving on to actually investing and first steps, like what are the steps to investing if you're like a beginner and you don't know how to do it at all? Okay. So first pick your brokerage account. A brokerage account is where your investments are going to live. So like you guys mentioned, Robinhood is really easy. It's really popular. So if that's, and it's very user-friendly, you know, Mm -hmm. it's on your phone. If that's, if you're kind of nervous about technology in that sense and like looking for, you know, where your investments are going to be like, sure, go ahead and use Robinhood. There are obviously some things that have happened with Robinhood. I per- like, we personally do have Robinhood, but we stopped putting, we stopped buying things in Robinhood because of certain things that happened. So you can do your own mm-hmm. research about, you know, events that have happened, but we decided to move everything to fidelity. Mm-hmm. Okay. Do you have like recommendations of which brokerage account to use or does it like not matter? I would personally use a more established brokerage. So Fidelity, Vanguard, or Schwab. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. So after you make a brokerage account, what's next? So then we can talk about portfolio allocations. So like all the considerations that we've already discussed, you know, your level of risk maybe, and, you know, your time horizon. The next thing is to actually pick your investments, which is the exciting part. And that's, you know, obviously the meat of this whole uh, thing. So for me, I will just first share my personal, you know, like portfolio, and then we can talk about kind of like what I think a beginner maybe should go into. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. So I have six categories. So 20 sorry, um, 30% of my portfolio is in an ETF. And an ETF is a stock, but the stock is not a company. So the stock is a pool of other companies, but it's bundled together in one stock called an ETF. So um, this, the ETF that I have is IVV, which tracks the S&P 500. So 30% of my portfolio is there. 20% of my portfolio is in another ETF that tracks the NASDAQ 100. Um, so that's 50% of my portfolio, which I consider in pretty risk, low risk, sorry, in pretty low risk um, investments because both of them are highly diversified and they track broad indexes. So if you want something that's low risk, I would definitely go for the S&P 500. It is like the least risky investment, honestly, other than like a bond that you could make. Wait, Um, can you, sorry, sorry to interrupt. Can you explain what the S&P 500 is? So the S&P 500 is an index that tracks the 500 largest companies in the U.S. stock exchange by market cap. So what market cap is, is the value of, the stocks and the shares multiplied together. So obviously the more stocks plus, you know, the share price of it, that is what creates the market cap. So when you see like, oh, uh, Amazon just hit like a trillion dollar market cap, that's because the value of, you know, the number of shares times the price of the mm-hmm. stock uh, equaled a trillion dollars. Mm-hmm. So um, the S&P 500 is the best investment, in my opinion, with the lowest amount of risk because you're super diversified across 500 companies. So when Tesla's doing great, it's okay that you don't own Tesla because you do own Tesla in your S&P 500 ETF. Mm. 
Okay. And then you also said the NASDAQ. So the NASDAQ 100 um, is 100 of the top non-financial companies. The S&P 500 doesn't have any criteria like that where it filters out for industry. It's just the largest. But the NASDAQ Mm -hmm. 100 gives you diversification for non-financial companies. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. Thank you. All right. Continue. Okay. So the other 50%. Yeah. Yeah. So the other 50% (laughs) is definitely more risky. Uh, It's something that I have trimmed down definitely over the last Mm -hmm. couple of years. Um, So I have 20% in crypto, which is very, very scary to some people. I totally understand. I was a non-believer for a long time, but Lawrence won me over. And now we've agreed that 20% is like the maximum risk that Mm -hmm. I feel comfortable taking. I think he would like to take Mm -hmm. more, but this is what Mm -hmm. I'm comfortable with. So we've agreed on 20%. And in crypto, we do own Bitcoin. We own, we also put a lot of money um, into the other cryptos. Again, it's not my level of expertise. He takes care of this part of the portfolio because I just don't know enough. Um, and he's done a lot of research. So 20% in crypto, um, 10% in, um, so there's something called Titan, which is basically an active management firm where you, um, they'll pull everyone's money together, like a hedge fund, and they will do the stock picking for you. So um, there's two funds that we have in Titan. We have the flagship fund, which is large U.S. companies like Apple that, you know, they select. And this is all active management, which means like they will routinely like buy and sell stocks in the portfolio for you. Um, The ETFs that I mentioned before, like the S&P 500 and the NASDAQ 100 are all passive investments. So it's just based on what the index is. But no one's like buying and selling just because they want Mm -hmm. to. Um, and then the other Titan fund we have 10% in is the Opportunities Fund, which is invested in um, growing um, small cap U.S. stocks. So the opposite of an Amazon is like a newer company where it's like less shares, less value. Um, and then the last 10% is in stocks. But like I said, I'm not stock picking anymore, but we do have a lot of stocks that we picked before. So that's just like the default value. Mm. Can you explain what stock picking is? So stock picking is if you are having a conversation with your friends and they're like, oh, this stock's hot. And then you're like, oh, okay, like, let me get some. That's <laughs> what I consider stock picking. Um, obviously, like, a lot of people do their own research and, like, I'm not, like, trying to shade that. But I feel like it's, it's very risky. It also takes a lot of personal time and investment. And unless you are very passionate or committed to that lifestyle, generally you're it's not going to like be something long-term that's sustainable. So that's why I don't do it anymore. And why I wouldn't really mm-hmm. recommend people who aren't going to be committed to doing those like, you know, steps to mm-hmm. do that. Okay. So you mentioned long-term and sustainable. So I guess like your approach on picking your portfolio now, is that based on like super long-term goals? Yeah. Or, so or I guess, yeah. Like, yeah, I kind of have is like, how should you change your approach based on like short-term, mid-term, long-term goals? Right. So I think for most of us, we're in, you know, in our either 20s or 30s. Um, so the time horizon for hopefully most of our portfolios is long, longer than, you know, even 10 years. That's um, like long term is more than 10 years. Short term is, you know, between like two to 10 years, maybe. Mm-hmm. Oh, sorry, midterm is between like two to 10 mm-hmm. years and short term is like maybe mm-hmm. less than two years. Um, for me, I'm definitely focused on long-term growth. Right. Um, so right. that's why, you know, I put half of my portfolio in relatively long-term mm-hmm. safe investments. 
Um, I think if you have, I think if you have short-term goals, again, I wouldn't really like be putting like all of your money into your portfolio until you've reached your short-term goal. But after that point, like I think most people should honestly invest for the long-term. If you can't do that, maybe it's not the right time to invest or maybe just mm-hmm. invest less because mm-hmm. investment strategies okay. work the best if you give it time to grow. Unless mm-hmm. you're stock picking, then I really, good luck, you know, but mm-hmm. <laughs> I think for, I think for most people who aren't going to do that, like long-term is good. And it's also important to think about tax implications mm-hmm. because everyone will have to pay some sort of, you know, capital gains probably at some point. And the difference between short-term and long-term is pretty big. So if you only keep your investments in for less than a year, you have to pay income tax on your capital gains which is much mm. higher than any sort of long-term gains that you would have to pay if you kept it in for more than a year, just a year, a year is the difference. Mm. So that's why you were saying like, if you were planning on getting married or buying a house within a year, then you should think differently. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Just like, wait. Okay. Hmm. Why don't you guys share what's your, in your portfolios? I'm curious. Oh yes, Teresa. Why don't you share with us? I'm a, I'm a stock picker. <laughs> Um, wow yeah, it's a hot no take. shame in my game <laughs> no yeah if it works for you um, it works for you i don't have it broken down by percentages now i'm curious i do have um a chunk of my money sitting with an index fund as well like you said like low mm-hmm. like low low risk so i'm not going to touch that but everything else is yeah i feel like i mean does stock picking include like if i were to just like google and kind of did a very cursory sort of research of like which stocks invest in is that considered stock picking or is it exclusively like what your friends tell you no no i mean stock is literally just buying individual stocks and there's nothing wrong with that it's just something that you have to be mindful about because you know hopefully there's never a circumstance like docusign for example is a stock that we had in our portfolio that recently took a huge huge hit that we never saw coming and mm. everyone thought it was going to be this super safe stock like no because you know mm. like DocuSign like everyone's signing with DocuSign these days like what can happen to DocuSign mm-hmm, but yeah. you never know like we work as another example like you just never know mm. Peloton like mm. so like even Apple like even if you pick Apple like you just never know when the next hot thing mm-hmm. is going to come and it's just a level of risk that I personally have decided that I don't want anymore um, mm-hmm. because then, you know, then if you do invest in like the S and 500, you never have to worry about rebalancing. You never have to worry about like, Oh mm-hmm. no, like I have to sell right now. Mm-hmm. So even if you think you pick the most safest stocks, there may come a point in time when you, you lose. Mm-hmm. Okay. Sorry. I need more explanation <laughs> yeah, so yeah, yeah. outside of, so then outside of like, um, ETFs, index funds, et cetera, like that range where I guess you could even just dump the majority of your yeah. portfolio in that. So what are the other options? So then? there are something, so there's, um, there's a category of, you know, robo investing is kind of what they're called. So like, um, wealth front is an example of a company where you deposit money and they, based on your risk level, they will invest it for you. But they're doing, they're picking stocks, but they're yeah. just, yeah, yeah, yeah. they're tracking it. Yeah. Okay. You're saying for like your average person who isn't like, tracking stocks that yeah. much like so if you like really it, don't want yeah if you really don't want to touch I see what it, you're saying you okay, can just put okay. your money there 
So like for for you like Titan like you mentioned. Yeah. So is Titan that type is of surface? Example. Yeah. It's a, it's oh. not a robo because like Titan actually okay. has people that pick, but like uh, it's okay. similar in the sense of like it's active oh. management. That it's not my active management, but someone yeah. else's active management. And, and then when you said for like cryptocurrency, where you guys have twenty percent of your portfolio mm-hmm. there, yeah. isn't that individual? Like Bitcoin, yeah. like yeah, that, that's totally stock picking too. Oh, it's it just, is. Yeah, okay. It's just a different category. I just put it as oh. a crypto because it's of that's okay. like the type of investment, but it's one hundred percent stock picking. Okay. Um, but I that see. again is a compromise that I had to make with yeah. parents. Okay, you're just um, saying majority yeah. of the portfolio shouldn't be like individual stocks. A hundred percent. I would never okay. ever recommend anyone's majority of their portfolio be stock mm-hmm. picks. That is a huge okay. liability. What, what, what what's the percentage you would recommend? 10%. Okay, My so 80, ideal situation 80% is 10%. should be in an index fund. Okay. So yeah. the index fund is very long-term. So this is yes. all contingent yes. on like yes. your goals are like yeah. 10 years plus. Okay. But also I don't think anybody should really be going into the stock market looking to make a quick buck. Mm. That is very risky, but it's something that mm. a lot of young people, like my little brother, like he thinks he can get rich off of one stock. Oh, like, how how, how little he how, was on the GameStop train. <laughs> yeah. Like, but thank God he's like not 18 yet. But like, oh, I just feel like, you know, like that is very like the thing these days where it's like, yeah, the GameStop thing, like, or yeah. Dogecoin, you know, oh, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But no, about like NFTs. <laughs> oh yeah, or NFTs. Like I'm so like what are NFTs? Far away from um Jersey, do, do, do you want to explain? Do you okay, know? all I know, I read this super long article, so this is gonna be my paraphrase, but it stands for non-fungible token. <laughs> and you basically you invest in like a like an item, right? Like it's like whether it's a piece of artwork or it could be like a gif. Or it could be mm-hmm. anything like that. And it's super <laughs> risky because a, a GIF. Like, it could be a digital art. Why would you do that? Exactly. Like, <laughs> you just, like, you just hope that it's going to, like, va- like someone else would value that for, like, a billion dollars. Or, like, what? It's oh, like, so it's, like, if ridiculous. someone would buy that, like. Correct. Okay. That's so stupid. Okay, that's interesting. Okay, wow. so the plug for the <laughs> NFT, I don't have any NFTs. I'm not a believer. But the plug for the NFT is that there it's like um supported by blockchain technology. So that's why it's so valuable because if right. you buy it, like no one else can claim like they have it. But people make copies of Yeah, people of make, course. But yeah. you won't have the original. I know. That's the whole like you can make a copy of a GIF yeah. or a picture. Yeah. Oh and, my like, god. Who's Wait. To say, yeah. And oh it's that so he just... got nfts for free from the spider-man movie <laughs> that's what that is oh my god yes. okay okay interesting wow okay sorry I keep talking Teresa. oh no i was just like the the context that i was reading about it was how um nfts are like killing the environment because like the i guess like the software or computer that supports that like blockchain and the entire transaction is extremely like it's just like causing pollution so and that's pollution. a really big and a lots of energy sucking. That's a big criticism people have of crypto too. Like Bitcoin, mm-hmm. it takes a lot of environmental power to mine mm-hmm. coins to keep the system yeah. going. So, you know, <laughs> I'm not super green or anything, but the article. Wait, I'm so confused. We'll ask any questions. <laughs> like, that sounds so stupid, and nobody will ever listen to our podcast again. So. <laughs> no, they might have the same. No, question. I'm gonna just ask you all out there because I'm not vulnerable enough to ask these questions. All right. 
I kind of like taking a tangent because, you know, we're three females here having a conversation like Minnie and I just started last year. And or you're saying how like your brother, like as a 17 year old Mm -hmm. is already like investing. And I feel like I see that disparity, right, between like men and women where like my husband at like kind of like your brother and like a lot of like guys in our peer group have started investing since high school yeah but for girls like most girls like for me example it's literally like last year that I got more serious about it so like what's your kind of like opinion on that and like kind of like why that is so I do think a lot of it probably has to do with the fact that like I mean yeah I've never I like until maybe like a year or two ago I never it just never came up in conversation with me and my girlfriends like we just weren't mm. interested it just wasn't like yeah. cute it's not a cute thing you know it's not like clothes or like you know like whatever (laughs) it's just it's not that interesting in that sense I think it's becoming Mm -hmm. more interesting now because you know everyone's actually doing it so there's more to talk about but I think before when we weren't doing it it just like never came up it wasn't like fun Mm -hmm. so I think that's part of it and then also um, there's been a lot of studies Um, men are much more risky than women Mm mm-hmm they're a lot, it's, it's easier for them to take risk. It's harder for women. Like we're more, um, we're more like logical in the sense of like, we're afraid to do something that we can't completely understand or we can't, you know, completely like, um, it's not safe. But the mm-hmm. funny thing is, as actually, there's also been a lot of studies that men are more emotional investors. Oh, It's harder yeah. for them to buy and hold. It's easier mm-hmm. for women to buy and hold. So it, it may be harder for us to get in but once we're in, we generally make better decisions because Thriving. we're not so, you know, impulsive. <laughs> totally. Interesting. Okay. So you just think like women just aren't that interested. Yeah. Like well, it doesn't come up and people aren't. Yeah. I feel like no one brings it up unless you're like, like for you, Brenna, like you like study finance. So this is something that like you already have a background in, but like for me, like had you not literally told me about it multiple times, like I still would not be investing, which is like deeply concerning for me, but you know, like, at least I got here, but yeah, I just feel like there's no, like, I just feel like females in general don't have conversations mm-hmm. around investments or, like, finance or money. Um, whereas, like, I feel like maybe it's just a thing about, like, generally males are more interested or guys are more interested in money, whereas girls don't really talk about that much in the setting of, like, investment, investment, whereas we talk about buying clothes or, like, other stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I also think maybe it's just, like, the lag of, like, kind of women like work entering the workforce like you know like the education like gap the wage gap I feel like we're just kind of like catching up you know whereas like mm-hmm. our generation of females like want to be college educated a lot of us like want to have strong careers and like be financially independent and everything so then now we're like starting to think about like next step is investing whereas like guys have always had to think about this because that was like the expectation on them too I don't know there's definitely I think there's definitely some underlying like sexist ties to this whole thing so like (laughs) (laughs) yeah Yeah. interesting okay well I want to okay well first let me share my portfolio no one asked yeah I want to know (laughs) um because I feel like I want to yeah I want to segue into Brenna's opinion about what a beginner should do because obviously like the portfolio you shared is because like you guys are like experienced and whatever so okay what I'm not, but okay. Okay. Wait, also, I had no idea that you only had, you had mostly stock picks, Teresa. I had no idea. I thought you were like an ETF girl, but that's interesting. (laughs) I will after tonight. (laughs) So for me, I like feel like I like definitely went the route of like, I don't really want to be watching my stocks. 
And I think because Brunel, you told me about it and like you explained everything to me, I like knew that I just like didn't have the capacity to like have to deal with that. And I think around the time I started investing, that was like when people around me were like super into it. So I would like constantly hear my guy friends talking about it, like every single day, like watching the stock market and stuff. So for me, I think I would say like 90% of my portfolio is in ETFs and then like the S&P 500 and QQQ. I don't know what that is, but, <laughs> and then I, uh, and then like, I only have stock picks because at the time I was like, oh, let me just do penny stocks for fun. Cause it was like really exciting. I remember when I first started, I like yes. checked the market every single day. <laughs> and then I would text my friends and be like, oh my God, like, do you notice this? Like, blah, 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 should we buy this or whatever? And it was like really exciting for like a couple of weeks. And then after that, I'd stop caring. Um, but honestly, like I like checked when I started and I started investing in like February, 2021 and it hasn't even been a full year yet. And I'm already like up like 20%. And I'm just like so in shock. Um, and then it just pains me to think about all those years that I just lost all this money. But that's like a separate point. Um, but I, I wanted to add that like through talking to like other people that I know, like mostly guys and like what they do is like primarily stock picks, like most of their portfolio stock picks. Like, like you said, like it's so volatile. So you, in the end, like they have to spend more time and energy investing and like monitoring that, but like, they don't even make that much money. So like, I know like mm. multiple people who like, they have made like, they're like either in the red or just came out of the red. And so like this whole year, it's like not to waste, but it's just like, yeah, like it's kind of like what you said about like, if you want like a minimum 10% on average, it's like the S and P 500 is like the way to go. But I think a lot of guys like that like, risk and they like to, mm. you know, like make it big and like, Oh, maybe this one stock, like will end up making you so much money. But then, I talking to people like I they like realize like oh shoot like maybe it is like a long-term wait and like I should have done it that way because it's like this past year has shown that like stock pick is clearly not the way to go sometimes unless like you're actually not only just good but it's like you can't predict anything so if you want like the safe route I don't even know if it's safe I feel like yeah I don't know I think guys just like like risks or at least my guy friends that I've talked to about this well, well you have to be actively trading for that to even work right yeah it's like an everyday thing yeah, because you can't. Yeah, yeah, you can't just let it sit. No, you no, no, you can't. Around, that's like yeah. that's the, that's the thing. And then, but then yeah. that's why it's like at the end of the day, it's like you're putting in so much time and effort into this, but you could still make like not the, out, the result. Yeah, the result there. is not there. Yeah, but then it's like you don't realize that unless you compare it with somebody's whose portfolio Who has steadily been. Yeah, and yeah. then that was like the comparison where it's like this person made mm. like we did a comparison of like oh how much I put my portfolio in, and it was like clear that like the ETFs are the way to go. As Brenna has said. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So do you want to give a breakdown of like what you think a beginner should, their portfolio should look like? Pretty much like you. I, I think like, like what you've done. I think, I mean, I think the NASDAQ 100, which is QQQ, I think it's a really good complement to the S&P 500. But honestly, if you are super risk averse and you really have no idea, I would honestly just only buy the S&P 500 until maybe you reach a level of either wealth or comfort level and kind of explore other, you know, maybe other ETFs or maybe you do want to stock pick a few things and, you know, kind of just like add a little bit of risk in like again like there's nothing wrong with like crypto or you know stock picking if it's only like that percentage of your portfolio then you can have fun with it you can like you know do whatever you want but just maybe don't make it you know like a bulk of your portfolio mm -hmm. Sweet. oh sorry i think there's one more thing like we should definitely talk about when we talk about etfs in general mm -hmm. um i like ivv which is 
what I use for the S&P 500. There's a lot of different ETFs that track the S&P 500. So you just want to pick the one um, in, in whichever brokerage account that you're using that has the lowest expense ratio or a low expense ratio. So every ETF has an expense ratio, which is the cost of running that ETF, you know, whoever is behind it. So mm-hmm. anything that's like around the 0.2 to 0.3% mark is totally okay. Um, Q, oh, sorry, IVV, which is what I use, has a 0.03% expense ratio, which is 0.03%, mm. which is basically zero, you know? Mm-hmm. But anything like, um, but QQQ has like 0.2, which again is okay. It's 0.2%. Mm. But anything that has like anything like 0.5, I've seen like 0.75, no, that's too high. Anything that's like close to like 1% is too high. You should try to pick something else, especially for something like the S&P 500, which there's plenty of options out there. So just mm-hmm. be careful. Make sure you look at that because it does change sometimes between different brokerage accounts. Um, mm. And sometimes they do change and they get a little bit high. Wait, what, what, is, what am I supposed to look at? I did not look at that. <laughs> it so it's called an expense ratio. Every oh, ETF. thank God. Mine is 0.09. Yeah. Okay. Every God. ETF okay. has an expense ratio. So you just want to be careful. Um, I know, like, for example, like Fidelity has their own, like, S&P 500. I personally just didn't want to buy one that's restrictive to a brokerage in case I ever decide to move my investments. So I just like to choose the generic one. And also, mm. I am IBV and QQU have been the longest running of their respective indexes. So there's wow, like also, you know, like, it's run well, in my opinion. Mm. Mine is 0.03. Thank God. Yeah. Oh, my God. Thank God. I did never notice that. I didn't even line. know that. Wow. I want 0.03. <laughs> now my 0.09 sucks. <laughs> oh, my God. Wow. I'm, I'm still learning. Okay. Okay. All right. So, Do I guess, any- like, for you guys, like, what are you – are you make, thinking about making any changes to your portfolio? I'm making so many changes. <laughs> <laughs> Reevaluating my whole life. Uh, I need to start budgeting. <laughs> I need to move all of my money into my index fund. <laughs> and I think I just need to rethink like my time horizon, like you said. Mm-hmm. I don't think I was thinking about that correctly. I think my time horizon specifically with my investment account. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, obviously with retirement, like it's more fixed, but yeah. And then, yeah, kind of the difference between like what needs to stay in the savings account versus what should be in your brokerage and then the portfolio. I've learned a lot. Sweet. Um, I am changing nothing. (laughs) I feel like because Brenna and I talk about this all the time and you gave me this lowdown, I am so grateful to you because I feel like I already did everything you told me to. Um, and I think, yeah, the best feeling was honestly when I compared it to somebody else's and I was like, oh my God, I'm doing so much better. <laughs> and then that's when I was like, oh shoot, this method like actually works. It's um, just more reliable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not yeah. to say they couldn't, right? Like it's just the risk. It's just the risk is like, yeah, it's yeah. like in the year you may, whatever, you know, like obviously for them, it's like, what if one day it shoots up so much? Yeah. Right? No, yeah. You know, that, it's like, just, you don't know. Yeah. yeah but it's just. Yeah one of those things. So I'm just grateful I started. So I think one thing I might start doing is budgeting or at least being more aware of how many, like how much I spend on per category. Cause I definitely don't do that. And that's purely out of laziness, which isn't a good reason. <laughs> um, yeah. So I think maybe that, do you have, any? you don't have uh, interest cause the only debt you have is on your car. Right. And you have no interest. It's yeah. zero, zero interest. So it's not like you have an incentive to like exactly. pay all that out. Right. Yeah. So, no. Yeah. yeah I think, yeah. 
Oh, Brenna, do you want to talk about that? Your hot take? Uh, Oh, what's the hot take? Yeah, let's talk about that. Okay. Um, So with everything that we said, obviously you can tell that I'm a big believer in the stock market and investing in general. I don't like my Mm -hmm. money not to make money. So Mm -hmm. with that philosophy, I think something that recently this year or last year, I did buy a house. Um, and like, I'm very lucky. It was obviously, as everyone probably knows, a really hot housing market. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's one of the reasons is because of the very, very low interest rate that most people were able to get. And I was able to get a very low interest rate of 3%, which nice. is very, very low um, compared to, I think I asked my parents when they bought like the house that we live in, or like my parents live in maybe 10 years ago, it was like 6%, which if you know mm. anything about interest rate on a mortgage, even something like 0.1 or 2%, 0.1 or 0.2% is a big deal. So can you imagine like mm. double, like mm. double my current interest rate? Uh, they've refinanced. Everyone refinanced. Yeah. yeah, but still mm-hmm. like, it's crazy right? I know. to think. Mm-hmm. Um, and the fact that I've locked it in for 30 years is obviously a huge blessing. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, something that I don't do, but I know some people do do is some people are um, big fans of basically like either taking a 15 year mortgage outright. So instead of a 30 year, they'll just cut it in half. They want to put down as much as they can. Yeah. You're saying? Um, they want to pay it off as quickly as possible. Yeah, right. Or if right. they do have a 30 year, they'll just try to make double payments. Try to, right. Mm, so if someone's to short it's the, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To shorten like the. Um, balance, which is means you pay lower interest total over time, which is mm-hmm. on paper seems like a really great idea. And mm-hmm. I understand the emotional attachment we all have with not wanting to have debt. It's debt. obviously yeah. amazing to feel like I don't have car debt. I don't have student loan debt. I don't have a mortgage debt. That's an amazing feeling, right? Mm-hmm. But um, because I think coming from this background, I know that there's something called a carry trade. A carry trade is when you buy something and you finance it for a lower rate than you can sell it back to someone for. So that's how you kind of profit from a carry trade. So in this Mm -hmm. mortgage example, I obviously have a really low rate, right? So I could make Mm -hmm. double my payment next month and I would save 3% off that month's Mm -hmm. payment you know, payment, mm-hmm. but I could also put in that amount into the stock market and make 10%. So mm-hmm. why would I pay down my mortgage when I could keep it in a brokerage account? Yeah. And especially at a rate this low, it to me doesn't really make sense to try to pay down my mortgage. And along with that, it's also not just like, what can I make in the stock market? But it's mm-hmm. also like, this is a fixed rate. Your house appreciates every year. And you're, mm-hmm. I mean, if I'm only speaking in my circumstance of having such a low rate, obviously if your rate is higher, you know, I think it's a different conversation, but for me, it's like, like my house is going up, my rate is so low and it's never going to go up. Mm-hmm. It's, it's like the, it's lower than inflation. <laughs> my house is going to go up more than, you know, my interest payments are. And I'm going to put my money, it's not like I'm just going to send it and keep it or whatever. I'm going to just right. put it into the stock market. So I'm going to also like make more money than I would if I did do that double payment. So mm-hmm. I think it's just something to think about. Like not all debt is bad debt, especially when you can get it financed for so low. So like Minnie's mm-hmm. really lucky because she has a 0% car payment. Mm-hmm. If you ever get 0% financing on anything like a car, I'm not talking about like Finance a firm. <laughs> I'm not talking about yeah. like a firm or like clothes. Like, you know, not, I don't really like think that's really the way to go. Cause I think it can lead to bad consumer habits. 
But I think if something like actually you need like a car or a house and you get like 0% on a car, take it. Like, why not? There is mm-hmm. no shame in having debt. Debt is not bad mm-hmm. if you can manage it or if you get a really good deal. But I think it's an emotional attachment that people have with like, oh, no, if I have, you know, $30,000 in cash, I'll just pay the car outright. But why would you do that? When if you get 0% financing, nobody should be doing that. It's free. Mm. Yeah, I'm I'm curious where that comes from, like people's mentality to to want to pay something off as quick as possible. It's, you know, like not having like that, like that dark cloud over you, like, oh, like I have debt because society makes us feel like debt is bad and debt is like bad in some context, like debt that is avoidable, like credit card debt that you spent on buying too many clothes. Like you should not have that kind Mm -hmm. of debt. Okay. But you know, like, like debt for something that is like useful to you, like a house or a car that is reasonable also, you know, within your budget, like if you can make your mortgage payments every month, then like 3% is a really good rate. And you don't need to feel that pressure to like try to double pay that every month. What are your thoughts on kind of like a segue yeah, I'm just gonna ask. What are your thoughts on like real estate as investment? Should you I always think, buy over paying rent? Like, what's your thought process with that? I think real estate is a extremely profitable investment vehicle, but there are so many caveats. I think it mm-hmm. takes the right person to get into real estate, like to you know own a rental property, for example. Like, as I think an that's the most like purpose, relatable yeah. is probably like if you think about owning a rental. I think. If you mm-hmm. live in a city like New York City, an amazing investment that will pay off. If you are going to take on the property management yourself and you're willing mm-hmm. to do that, like if you're mm-hmm. willing to go through finding tenants, maintenance, all this kind of stuff, like I applaud you. I applaud anybody who decides that they want to take on real estate in their portfolio. That is definitely something that has a lot of tax benefits, a lot of future appreciation benefits. Personally, I don't live in an area where rentals really make sense. And even mm. if I did, life is too stressful already. I don't want the added stress <laughs> of, a, of a rental property. I don't even want an mm-hmm. Airbnb. Like, I don't mm-hmm. want that. I want to, like, relax mm. when my money makes money. Mm. But, like, if you are ready for the work, if you don't mind, like, you know, the customer service aspect of having rental property, if you are ready for that, like, rentals are amazing, especially because if you think about it, like, a mortgage is the only way you're ever going to get that much finding sorry, no, funding at that low rate like even like five percent is really low for like a million dollar loan you know like mm-hmm. you're never going to get a million dollar personal loan from pnc it's only going to be in a house because your house is your collateral that's why they were willing to do it for so low but like so like yeah if you want to get into rentals if you want to borrow to like get a second home rent it out like it's very very profitable but it takes the right person. And I wouldn't recommend people would just like watch a YouTube video and just buy a house. Like it's, it's way more like intensive and there's plenty of people who do this and fail. Really? <laughs> I mean, I watch those videos. Like they make it seem like, Oh, you buy five rental properties and you're suddenly a millionaire. Yeah. For every one in hundred people that tries that, do you know how hard mm-hmm. it is to actually like maintain that and to get lucky yeah. with the properties that you pick? It's not yeah. a like easy way to success. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I hope that was really helpful for everybody. Um, again, would really hope that the takeaway from this, if you haven't started investing, is that this motivates you to at least look into it and think about some of the things that we talked about today. And the best part of my podcast is you can always go back and listen to it again. 
um, if there's anything that you need a second uh, time to hear. So thank you guys for having me. I hope to be back. And you will be. (laughs) Foreshadowing. (laughs) I know. Um, Okay. So thanks so much for listening to this episode. We're so happy we got to talk to Brenna about investing today. Hopefully this conversation has helped some of you ladies in some way or men in some way as Brenna has definitely Mm. helped me and literally helped me make money. Next episode, we will talk, we'll be talking with Brenna about credit cards and tips on how to best use those points that a lot of us hoard. As always, Minnie and I are looking for new topics to discuss on the podcast. So if there's anything specific you'd want to hear about during season two, let us know on our Instagram. Our handle is relatively Asian. We'll talk to you guys in two weeks. Bye. Bye.